turn, if you would, to 2 Kings chapter 3. We're going to continue in the same chapter that we looked at last week. The name of the message is God's Enemies Defeated. God's Enemies Defeated. And we will see Elijah is a picture of Christ. As he is the mediator. Christ is the mediator between God and man. We see here that Elijah will be the mediator between God and Jehoshaphat and the other kings. The king of Israel and the king of Edom. And the only reason, again, as we looked at, look at verse 14 of 2 Kings chapter 3. The only reason that Elijah had a council with these kings was because of Jehoshaphat. My, oh my. Look at this. 2 Kings 3.14. And Elijah said, As the Lord, that's Jehovah, of hosts liveth, before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would not look toward thee nor see thee. Praise God that he looks at us in Christ, that he sees us in Christ, that he doesn't see us in our natural state. And the reason he doesn't is because we are the blood-washed saints of God. We've been, we've been dipped. We have been plunged into the fountain of Christ's blood. The fountain of Christ's blood. Let me tell you a little story about Jean-Claude told me. And I've, I've said it before, and I, I like to repeat it. He was uh, talking to a preacher over in Africa. And this preacher had a brother. And... Somebody in the town that they lived in, they lived in the same town, somebody in their town wanted to put a curse on the two of them. So he went to the local voodoo guy, and he said, I want to put a curse on these two brothers. And the one brother, or the, the, the fellow said, well, I can curse him, but I can't touch that fellow. I can't touch him because he's covered. And it was the preacher. He's covered. Can't touch him at all. And his brother was an unbeliever. We are covered, beloved, under the precious, precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are protected. We are hedged about. Now, do we still go through things in this world? Yes. We're going to look at Romans, uh, a verse in Romans later on. And we're going to see that we, we go through things. But all things that we go through and that occur in this world in our life occur for our good and for God's glory. And it, and it would help us to keep sight of that, eh? That's why we preachers always say, keep your eyes on Christ. Keep your eyes on him. Because he's, he's in, there's not a maverick molecule in God. If God's sovereign, there's not a maverick molecule, is there? Not one. He's in absolute control of all things. Scripture says visible and invisible. That's our sovereign. That's our king. That's the one who saved our souls, beloved. What rest that can bring us when we get anxious, and we do, right? Let us remember that. God, you're, you're a sovereign over all things. Even this situation I'm going through, you're absolutely sovereign in it. I like what you said about eating peanuts. God moves in mysterious ways, doesn't he? You couldn't get that done. There's a reason, right? We don't know. But there's a reason, there's a reason that you didn't go 
yesterday to that appointment and that you have to go Friday now we don't understand it but there's a reason we might never know the reason but there's a reason there's a re and it's just incredible in God's elect we're precious in the eyes of the Lord we we can't fully grasp that can we because we're a bunch of sinners saved by the grace of God but we are precious we're like precious stones in his eyes a rare jewel in his eyes a rare jewel. And we say, me? Yeah. We, 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 are, we are such rare jewels that God the Son purchased us with his blood. Gave his life for us. That's how valuable we are to God. He sent his only begotten Son into this world to bleed and die for us. If we weren't important to him, if we weren't valuable to him, he'd have just left us in our sin, wouldn't he? But we're vessels of honor to him. See, we don't understand that. We say, I'm a vessel of honor. That's what the scripture says. But we don't understand that, do we? we don't, but, but we are. We're valuable in the Lord's eyes. And if it wasn't for Jehoshaphat, Elijah wouldn't even talk to these men. He says, I wouldn't even look at you, and I wouldn't have nothing to do with you. But praise God, we're in Christ, right? And a child of the living God, a born-again, blood-washed saint of God, we have a mediator. We have a mediator between God and us. And it's the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for our eternal souls. He gave himself a ransom. My. Last week, we looked at the miracle which God did in filling the empty ditches. Without rain, without wind, he filled the empty ditches. I, I read this one guy. I, I, I'm going to delete him right out of my ESR. He said, he said, well, this wasn't because of a miracle. There was a rainstorm further up in the mountains and the water came flowing. Yeah. Delete. I don't need to read that guy anymore. This was a miracle, beloved. And God himself said, said to Elijah, there ain't going to be no rain. There's not even going to be any wind. And water is just going to come. And that's what happened, isn't it? Water just came. Oh my, this is a miracle of God. And if, if, if this water hadn't have come, these three armies would have perished. Thousands of men, they would have perished. And not only was there enough water for the men, but there was enough water for all their cattle. Like you said, Dave, thousands of cattle, thousands of head of cattle. My, the amount of food that the Roman legionaries would, the Roman legions would purchase in order to feed the legionnaires, was astronomical. The amount of cattle and sheep and goats that they, they took with them into the battlefield, they all followed behind along with the baggage train. And it was a lot of... A lot. And then there was people that sold wares with them too and everything. So imagine this. Here's a huge... Three armies, not just one. Three armies together. Doesn't even tell us the number, but we know it's a large number, don't we? They would have perished without this water. And we see here, what do we see here? We see that the rain falls on the just and the unjust, don't we? If it wasn't for Jehoshaphat, the Lord have nothing to do with him. But because of Jehoshaphat, and not just several commentators not said not just Jehoshaphat, but for his, some of his soldiers who were believers too, because they come from Judah, God had mercy on them all. Isn't that amazing? 
Now, now not mercy in a saving way, in, in the sense like we have with salvation, but mercy in the sense that the rain falls on the just and on the unjust. He provides for the just. Think of that. You ever think of this? He provides for people who curse his name. He provides for them. And they don't acknowledge it. They, they hate God. And yet he still provides for them. Yeah. My. He's so benevolent. No, yeah, he's just, he's so benevolent. He, he just opens his hands and the animals of the sea are fed. The animals of the world are fed. And we humans are fed as well. Fowls of the air are fed. Isn't that amazing? He, it, all from the abundance of his hand. Oh, my, my. But he has a special mercy for his people. And that comes in and through the mediator. Our mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, my. And again, this miracle only occurred because Elijah sought God for Jehoshaphat. And that's evident, right? And Elijah said, As the Lord of hosts liveth, before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah. Who was going to come out of Judah? Christ. The lion of the tribe of Judah. He came as a lamb the first time, didn't he? He coming back as a lion. We were talking about that in the weekend. He's coming back as a lion. He's his, one of his, oh, beautiful titles. The lion of the tribe of Judah. My. My, he's just so, that's our king. That's our king, beloved. Now let's read verses 13 to 14 here. And all, we're going to read all the way to the end of the chapter, and I'm just going to speak a little bit on these, these words that, that are before us here. And Elijah said unto the king of Israel, What have I to do with thee? Get thee to the prophets of thy father. Go back. What he's saying is, go back and worship, worship Baal and all them. Go back to the prophets that your mom and dad set up. Go on. Right? Because his dad was Ahab. And his, his mother was Jezebel. We know the story of those two, don't we? And to the prophets of thy mother. And the king of Israel said unto him, Nay, for the Lord hath called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. Look at that. He's, he's, he's already, he's thinking, we're going to be destroyed. We're going to, we're going to, we're going <laughs> to die of thirst. We have all this food around us with these animals and everything. And we're going to die of thirst. My, oh my. And Elijah said, as the Lord liveth, uh, as the Lord of hosts liveth, see, our God lives. He's a living and true God. He ain't, he ain't like the prophets of Baal, right? His prophets are real. They prophesize about the true God. Those prophets of Baal, Baal's just a figment of people's imagination. Right? That's all he is. He says, as the Lord of hosts liveth. Oh, our God lives, beloved. He lives. Before whom I stand. We stand before the living God in Christ, beloved. So did Elijah, right? Oh, yeah. Surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would not look toward thee. I'd not even see thee. I'd just walk right. He wouldn't even acknowledge they were even there. My my, oh my. 
Now, again, Elijah's a type of Christ. He has mercy. He has mercy because of Jehoshaphat here. And you know, God will have mercy where his people are. He'll show mercy where his people are. He's going to have mercy upon these three, these three kings only because of Jehoshaphat and because of maybe some other believers that are in his army. My, oh, my. Take note. Take note, too. I thought about this. I mentioned it to Vicki. Take note how the Lord gives Elijah boldness. These are kings. These men are kings. They're rulers in their countries. Right? They're, back then, if a king wanted to take your head off, he could take it off just at one command. Look at the boldness that the Lord gives Elijah. See, Elijah doesn't fear what man can do to him. Like the scripture says, right? Fear not him who can destroy your body. But fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. We're not to fear man. We're to fear God. And, and for us, it's not a slavish fear. It's a fear of awe and reverence. Our God is God. He's the true and living God. And he reigns. But praise God, he watches over us and directs us. And, and even our steps are ordered by him. My he knows. Elijah knows. These, these kings are but mere men. Think of this too. Elijah serves and knows the true king of kings and the Lord of lords. He loves the sovereign God of the universe. That's who he loves. Only because he first loved him, right? He says, I, I serve the sovereign of sovereigns. That's what we proclaim when we say Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, we're, we're proclaiming him as the sovereign of sovereigns. There's no one higher <laughs> than our great God and king. No one comes close. Men don't even come close to them, to who he is. He is king, and he's king over all things visible and invisible. That gives us great comfort, knowing that our, our lives are in his hand. Our times are in his hand. And when our time comes, he's going to take us home to be with him forever where we will see Christ face to face. And we'll be there for eternity. All for, well, what's he say? What's the Father say? When I see the blood, I'll pass over you. It's the blood of Christ that cleanses us from all sin, beloved. Is the blood of Christ. My. Now, now we see here, Elijah calls for a minstrel. A lot of the commentators said, he's pretty worked up. <laughs> he's, pretty, he's, look, he's looked at Ahab's son. He's, pretty, he's lit up just by what he said to him. And so he calls for a minstrel to calm him down. <laughs> just to, have you ever noticed sometimes we can be really worked up and we start singing a hymn or something in our heads? And do you notice how it calms us? You know why? Because we're starting to set our minds upon Christ. We're setting, our, we're setting our heart upon Christ. Or memorizing verses and you're running the verses through your mind. You can be worked up and you start, you, start, you know. I was talking to a brother today on the phone and we were talking about, um, about again, about like Elijah not fearing, not fearing men. And I brought up that scripture. Um, For God has not given us a spirit of fear 
but of power and of love and of a sound mind. You know, I run that through my mind. When I get afraid of thing, something, I run that through my mind. God, you've not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And it brings peace to my soul. Brings peace to my soul. In the midst of a turmoil in my life, I, I just run that verse and, and oh, how comforting it is. Look what it says now. Verse 15. But now bring me a minstrel. And it came to pass when the minstrel played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. That's Elijah. And the word of the Lord comes to Elijah the prophet. And he's going to tell them what they are to do. And he's, and he's going to tell them what God's going to do. More importantly. More importantly. And he said, Thus saith the Lord. This... Jehovah's telling you this. This is not Elijah telling him. Elijah's, Elijah's just the mediator, right? He's just the mouthpiece, isn't he? See, we preachers, we just, we just proclaim the report. Elijah's going to proclaim to them the word of the Lord. Look at this. Make this valley full of ditches. So that's all they got to do. Just dig a bunch of holes. Could, could you imagine when he said that to those kings? The men are already wasted. They're already drained, right? Yeah. Seven days, right? Yeah, seven days. They, they, they're wore out. They're not drinking water. They're at the end of the rope. And Elijah says, go dig a, dig a bunch of ditches in the valley there. And as I said last year, last week, when they went back to the men and said, dig a bunch of ditches. Could you imagine the grumbling that might have went on? What? We're half dead. Dig a bunch of ditches. Elijah the prophet got a word from the Lord, said dig a bunch of ditches. Now the, the men who serve the Lord and love, they'd, they'd, have, they'd have went eagerly, wouldn't they? Here's the word from the Lord. You said it, Lord, we're going to do it. Dig, dig a bunch of ditches. Now, watch what the Lord's going to do. He does it all. He didn't need them to dig the ditches. He just told them to do it. Right? Yeah. He speaks and we listen. And we do, right? What he tells us to do. My. But you know, God is the God of salvation. Salvation is the Lord. In salvation, there's nothing for us to do. Now, we labor for the Lord because we love him, right? That's just serving. Serving him in the church. Serving him in all different aspects of our lives, right? My. He says, for thus saith the Lord, ye shall not see wind. There won't be wind come. So what usually happens when a rainstorm comes up? Sometimes there's wind that pops up, right? Well, we got them 75 mile an hour winds a couple weeks back. And then, boom, the rain hit. Neither shall you see rain. There won't be a drop fall from the sky. <laughs> see how foolish that one guy said when he said, well, this wasn't a miracle. Oh, my gosh. Just, like I say, delete. That's, that's, that's so easy to do when you read something like that. My, oh, my. Yet... 
yet, that valley where you're going to dig all them ditches, right, shall be filled with water. It'll be filled. Yep. Shall. Amen. Shall be filled with water. That ye may drink, both ye and your cattle and your beasts. So your horses are going to be able to drink. Your cattle are going to be able to drink. You're going to be able to drink. There'll be so much water, there'll be water left over. How do we know that? Well, we're going to find out. The Moabites, because of the sun and everything, thought it was a sheen of blood. It was water. And the reason, I found out, the reason that they thought it was a sheen just because of the sun, there was no water in that area before. So they thought that they had fallen upon each other and started slaughtering each other. My, oh my. Oh, again, notice there's no wind, there's no rain. And Elijah tells them, those ditches are going to be full of water. This valley is going to be full of water. And then he tells them, this is a small thing for the Lord to do. I love that. I, I, I just love that. It's, it's nothing. Controlling the elements, it's nothing. Controlling the wind and the rain, it's nothing. It's nothing. It's but an exercise of his sovereign power. And he created it all, right? Of course, he's going to have, he's going to have the rule over it all. You see, you ever look, when the, watch the weather guys, and they show that jet stream. You know who controls all that jet stream? Our sovereign God. When them storms come down from the Arctic, down from Canada, it's all God's sovereign hand moving them to come down. They're, they're all like, oh, we're so surprised. This polar, polar vortex just hit us. We're so surprised. He didn't catch God, but he sent it. Right? And living in Michigan, we know we're going to get snow, don't we? We're not going to get California weather in Michigan, except in the spring and the summer. It's beautiful. But we're not going to get that in the wintertime, are we? No. My, oh, my. Look at this. Look, look, at, look at this again. Verse, verse 18 of Second Kings 3. Oh, my. And this is but a light thing, small thing, in the, in the sight of the Lord, in the sight of Jehovah. He will, do, and, then, and then, not only does he say, well, given you all this water is but a small thing, but he also says, I'm going to deliver all the Moabites into your hand. Remember the king of Israel, Ahab's son, was like, oh, we're here, they're going to destroy us. No, no wonder Elijah rebuked him. My. My. Look at this. He will deliver the Moabites also into your hands. So not only is he going to give you water, but he's going to deliver your enemies into your hands. See, God always defeats his enemies. And the enemies of his people are his enemies. Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. God's a jealous God. He protects his own. He takes care of his own. Look at this. And then he's going to tell them, I'm going to deliver the enemies into your hands. Look at this. And ye shall smite every fenced city. When you go into the Moabite land, you are going to destroy all the cities. You're going to take the rocks and you're going to cast them into the fields. 
You're going to make their fields where if they want to ever grow things again, they're going to have to pick all them rocks. And where did they get the rocks from? From the, from the, the villages that they destroy? It says here, And ye shall smite every fenced city and every choice city, and shall foul every good tree. Any tree that's bearing fruit, you're going to destroy it. You're going to cut it down. This is God telling them to do this. And stop all the wells of water. You're going to fill the wells full of rock and sand. You're going to stop them so they can't use them ever again. And if they do use them, they're going to have to pull all that rock stuff out of there. My. It's not like today where they can just go down and make a new well and no, they, they, had, they had to dig these things, beloved. And when, when, a, when a well was, was stopped with rocks and stuff, they just figured, well, we're just digging another well. And look at this. And every good piece of land with stone, you're going to take their, their best fields and you're going to pitch stone on them all. My. This is what God does to the enemies of his people. They become barren. What happens when someone stands in front of the Lord in their own self-righteousness? They're absolutely barren, aren't they? They're absolutely bankrupt. And the scripture says the Lord stops their mouth. So all the world becomes guilty before God. Look at this. And it came to pass in the morning when the meat offering was offered. Okay. So they get up in the morning and they offer sacrifice unto the Lord. They should have done that before they even left. Right? So I imagine Jehoshaphat's having this done. They offer a meat offering unto the Lord. Proper sacrifice. They offer a meat offering unto the Lord. And what happens? After the meat, when the meat offering was offered, that behold, there came water by the way of Edom, and the country was filled with water. Look at that. Here comes the water. God promised the water, and what happened? There was no rain. Here comes the water. <laughs> There was no wind. Here comes the water. Oh my. See, it's a small thing for the Lord to do. It's nothing for him to do this. My. What a miracle. No rain, no wind, and yet all the ditches were filled with water. Just as Elijah said the Lord would do. My beloved. If God be for us, who can be against us? Now let's read the Moabites' reaction. And when they were all, and when all the Moabites, verse 21, heard that the kings were come up to fight against them, they gathered all that were able to put on armor and upward and stood in the border. They got any, any back then, 15, 16-year-olds, they'd have a sword in their hands. Anyone who was able to hold a sword were going forth. Now, for them, they're defending their land, right? Because the three kings are going to come over with their armies into, into Moab. 
And they rose up early in the morning, and the sun shone upon the water. And the Moabites saw the water on the other side as red as blood. And they said, Behold. And they said, This is blood. It's water. But because of the sunlight hitting it, it looked like blood to them. This is blood, and the kings are surely slain, and they have smitten one another. Now therefore Moab to the spoil. Now when they say to the spoil, they're going to go over there and collect all the armor, all the gold, all the silver, all the animals are going to spoil those three armies. So they thought. And now the, think of this too. The kingdom, the kingdom of Judah and Israel, they had been at war for about a century. They'd been fighting each other. And then the country of Edom was a vessel to Judah. They were a vessel to them. They paid tribute to them. So we see because of the sun's reflection upon the water... The Moabites, though this previously dry area, see, they were thinking, this is a dry area. That must be blood. They had no idea it was water. They thought it was all a bunch of, just a bunch of blood laying around there. Because there was no water there the day before, was there? No, And there was no rain and no wind. So they probably thought, Oh, that looks like a bunch of blood. Because if if they would have thought it was rain or water, the wind and rain, but there was none of that. None of that. Previous day had been all dry. And they thought, look, it's shimmering with blood from the three armies. They 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 started to butcher each other. They thought there was a massacre going on amongst the three armies. Because there was jealousy between Israel and Judah at one time. Again, they had fought. And, and previous to this, Edom had rebelled, but they was quenched. So they probably thought, well, maybe Edom rose up and is fighting among them all, too. So they, they thought, well, all these three allies are, allies are now against each other. And they said, let's go. And when they said they went in for the spoil, they're running. They're going, we got this. And I would imagine they're not going in in the ranks like they should be. They're going and just running to get there, to get to the spoils. Oh, my. Remember the word of the Lord that... that Elijah delivered to the kings in verses 18 and 19. Let's read that again. And remember, this is for Jehoshaphat's sake. And again, several commentators say for the, the other true believers in his army. It says in verse 18 and 19, And this is a light thing in the sight of the Lord. He will deliver the Moabites also into your hand. And ye shall smite every fenced city and every choice city, and shall fall every good tree, so every fruitful tree, Stop all the wells of water and mar every good piece of land with stones. And then we see in verse 24 to 27, the complete delivery of the Moabites into the hands of the three kings and their armies. Look at this. 
And when they came to the camp, this is the, the Moabites, and when they came to the camp of Israel, the Israelites rose up and smote the Moabites so that they fled before them. But they went forward, smiting the Moabites, even in their country. So here they come. They're running in thinking, we've got these guys. We're going to get a spoil. They're all slaughtered each other. Oh, oh. <laughs> here the, the, the men, it says here, the men of Israel, they rise up. And they start killing the Moabites. And they start chasing them. Even into their own country. And look at this. And they beat down the cities, and on every good piece of land cast every man his stone and filled it. And they stopped all the wells of water and felled all the good trees. Again, that's the fruitful trees. Only in Kur-Harasheth left they the stones thereof. Howbeit the slingers went about it and smote it. So that city was a, a walled city. So what did they do? They got the slingers knocking the guys off the walls. They can't tear the city walls down, but those slingers back then, those guys were experts. They could take a man off a wall with a stone. And so they're, they're picking guys off. They're smoking guys that are on the high walls. The slingers are. And when the king of Moab saw that the battle was too sore for him, he took with him 700 men that drew swords to break through even unto the king of Edom, but they could not. So here's the king of Moab. He's taken 700 swordsmen out with him to try to get to the king of Edom. Figuring if I can get that king and slay him, maybe it'll stop. He couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. And look at verse 27. Oh, what depravity of man is on display here. This king of Moab took his eldest son that should reign in his stead and offered him up for a burnt offering upon the wall. Most commentators say offered him up to his false god. And the men of the three armies were so moved with compassion, knowing that the king of Moab, Moab would not stop, knowing that he would sacrifice his own people, either on the altar or by sending them into battle. It says this, and there was great indignation against Israel, and they departed from him and returned to their own land. My, oh my. After seeing him sacrifice his son to a false god. My, oh my. This moved the invaders to see the king, that, that the king of Moab would sacrifice all his people if he had to. He'd kill them all. Or have them be killed. Gil brings forth that they're, they're moved by compassion. The three kings return to their lands. The king of Judah to the, to the land of Judah. The king of Israel to the land of Israel. And the king of Edom to the land of Edom. And took their armies with them. Now, what a lesson is set forth here before us. What a lesson for us. We look at this text and we can see that the enemies of God will be defeated. They will be. They're numerous here on this earth, aren't they? But they will be defeated. They will be. And it's not by might nor power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. 
right? It's not by our strength. Was this great victory, the delivering of the Moabites into the hand of these three kings, did it come about by their strength? Not at all, did it? God said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to give you water, and I'm going to deliver your enemies, my enemy, into your hands. My, oh my. Didn't he say Moab was his wash pot? My, oh my. What a lesson. The battle's the Lord's, beloved. The battle's the Lord's. We stand firm in Christ, don't we? We don't have to move forward. We stand firm in him. Stand fast in the liberty, the freedom, wherewith Christ hath made you free. Stand fast there. Just stand there. Even in the whole armor of God, which is Christ, we're told to stand fast. Stand fast. We only move when the king moves forward with his banner, don't we? And remember, his banner over us is love, isn't it? His banner over us is love, beloved. The battles of the Lord's. He will remove the enemies of his people because they're his enemies too. And he will remove them. My, and he will keep his elect in peace. In peace. Now we may go through things in this world, but we can have peace in our hearts knowing that our king is in charge. Knowing that he rules and reigns. Turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 8. Now, we can be moved by things that happen in this world. Oftentimes, the things in this world catch us by surprise, and we can be moved by them. But they never catch God by surprise. They all come about by his perfect sovereign will. Look at this in Romans chapter 8, verses 28. A verse that we're all very familiar with. God's people are familiar with this verse. It's a beautiful verse. It says this, And we know that all things work together for them, or for, for, for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Look at the first words of this verse. And we know. We've been taught this, haven't we? We didn't know this before the Lord saved us. And even then things were working out for our good, and we didn't even know it. It says here, and we know, it's not a matter of opinion. It's not a matter of opinion. It's not a matter of uncertainty. We know this as surely as we know that we are redeemed by the blood. We know this. We know what, what Paul's going to write about. He says that all things, next part, that all things, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all good angels, rulers, ministers, all evil beings such as Satan, all good events such as peace, prosperity, health, and happiness, and all other bad events such as war, famine, sorrow, sickness, and death. All things. All things. I had a dear sister used to attend here. Lord took her home. And she told us about some things she went through as a child. And as a young lady, just things, just horrendous things. You know what she said to me one day? I know why all that happened now, Brother Wayne. I know why it all, it all drew me to Christ. Drove me to Christ. Isn't that wonderful? And she found out what true love was. 
she found out what true love was. Mm, my, oh, my. All things. Look what this says next. Work together. Work together. All things, good and bad. All things. Everything. All these things. Not only things that are present and operate in us or towards us, but they all cooperate under God's goodness and God's direction and control. You know why? To fulfill his purpose. All things worketh to fulfill God's purpose. We can't understand that, can we? And we're not called to understand. We're just called to believe it, aren't we? And by God-given faith, we believe it. We believe what this verse is saying. My, oh, my. All things work together. Turn with me, if you would, to Genesis, in, in light of this. Genesis chapter 45. In light, of, in light of this work together, all things work together. Think of this, too. Keep your finger, though, there in Romans 8, because we'll go back there. And we'll see this truth brought forth by Joseph. That all things work together for the believer in Christ. Look at this. Genesis chapter 45. Genesis chapter 45. Think, think of this too. Joseph's route to the throne of Egypt. His brothers throw him in a pit. He's sold into slavery. He goes to Potiphar's house. He's, having, he's in charge of all of the things in Potiphar's house. Right? Then Potiphar's wife tries to lay with him. He says, no, I'm not going to have anything to do with that. He takes off. Potiphar gets mad, throws him in prison. There's a baker just happens to be there and a butler. And he says to the, I think it was the butler, he said, just remember me when you get up there. And King has a funky pizza dream, right? And he, he doesn't know, he can't understand what it is. He just has a bad dream. He, he can't understand what it is. And so Joseph's called. And, and he interprets it. And the king makes him prime minister over all of, all of Egypt. All things work for the good together. You see? Look what he says here. Look, look at the testimony he has to his brothers here. Genesis 45, verses 3 to 8. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph, doth my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. They thought, he's going to kill us. He doesn't think that, though. See? God in Christ loves us. Right? We're his brethren, aren't we? We who are his people. Oh. And Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near. And he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Now, therefore, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve lives. See, now he, he sees it. He sees it. He sees it, Lord. For these two years hath the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in the which there shall neither be earing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. See, our lives, we've been, we've been saved as God's people by a great deliverance, haven't we? By the Lord Jesus Christ in his redemptive work. He did it all perfectly. 
to redeem our eternal souls by a great work, by a great deliverance. Think of this. Christ was sent into this world before we even were to deliver us. To deliver us, beloved. So now it is not you that sent me hither, but God. And he hath made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and a ruler throughout the land of Egypt. So let's go back to Romans chapter 8. We see there all things working for good, don't we? Things that, things that man meant for evil there. Casting Joseph in, into the pit to be sold to a slaver. Joseph says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Oh my, what grace God's given him. Look at verse 8, uh, 828. Look at the next part. For good. All things work together for good. For good. Eternal good is meant here. Not necessarily present comfort, ease, and joy. This is eternal good. For our eternal good. There's things we go through this earth, or through in this earth that are very painful. Painful in the heart. Painful in the mind. Painful in the body. My. But what's our ultimate desire as believers? To be with Christ, isn't it? Isn't that our ultimate desire? And God is conforming us to the image of his son. And our ultimate desire is to be home with the Lord. Isn't that amazing? Boy, God's done a work in us, hasn't he? He's changed us. You know, it used to be, and I often hear when I talk to some young people about Christ, they say, well, well, I want to live life and I want to experience all these things and I want to do this and I want to do that before the Lord comes. I just want to go see the Lord, don't you? Oh, my. Oh, what rest we have. In Christ, as we sang in that song, we're going to go to our eternal rest, beloved. And our, so our ultimate desire is to be with Christ and to be like Christ. And this is what all things are, are accomplishing, beloved. As the Spirit conforms us to the image of Christ. Ephesians says this, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time, he might gather together in, all, in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of, the, of his glory, who first trusted in Christ, to the praise of his glory, who works all things, all things after the counsel of his own will. My. Now, a lot of people stop right there. When they quote this verse, a lot of people stop there. Religious people often stop right there. But they, they forget there's a whole other part of the verse. I remember Henry Mahan told the story of the Lord saved him when Ralph Bernard was preaching on, on I believe it was on this verse. And he, he looked at Henry and he said, can you quote that verse? And Henry said, yeah, um, all things work for good. And he stopped. And, and, and Ralph said, say the rest. Say the rest. <laughs> he said the rest. Look, look at what the rest of the verse is. Oh, wow. Here we go. We're going we're gonna to read the rest. And what's, what, Why is all these things happening for the good of God's chosen people? All according to the will and purpose of God. Look at this. To them that love God. Who are the ones who love God? Well, 
Remember in Galatians, we're seeing the spirit of his son is sending to those because we are sons. Because we're God's elect. Oh, my. To them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. Not our purpose. His purpose. So the promise of eternal good and well-being is not a blanket promise to all men and all women. No. In the world, but only to those who have received Christ, who love Christ, who have been effectually called by God, the Holy Spirit, by his grace to save in faith, born again by the Holy Spirit of God. And whosoever will hear this message, know, know that there is no mercy outside of Christ. All God's mercy and grace is wrapped up in Christ. He's the only hope for sinners. There's no mercy for anyone outside of Christ. Colossians 2, 9 and 10 says, For in him dwell all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye, you, Dave, you, me, are complete in Christ. Yeah, amen. Complete. There's nothing else to be done. Complete in him. Wow, this is, it's incredible. And as I said earlier, all of God's enemies will be defeated. Yeah, this includes those who are, are, again, the enemies of his people. And we, we, we don't need to seek vengeance. Turn, if you would, to Romans chapter 12. We are not called to seek vengeance. You know what we are called? We, we're, we're called, we're just lamb, sheep. We're not called to, to have vengeance upon people. Now, that's our natural, that's in us, isn't it? Let's be honest, that's in every one of us. Right? To lash out if someone wrongs us, to lash out back at them. That's true of every man and woman in this world. But look what it says here in Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Dearly beloved, divinely loved ones. Dearly beloved. That's God who, who we are the dearly beloved to. Avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Look at that. In the Greek, the word vengeance there means a vindiction, retribution, also a revenging or vengeance or punishment. The Lord says, that's mine. I'm going to repay your enemies and mine. You don't have to do it. And here is the cause of most unrest. People taking on themselves to avenge themselves. If somebody wrongs us, the first thing we want to do is wrong them. Strike back. To strike back is in our nature, isn't it? It's in us. It's in our flesh. Romans 12, 9, look what it says. Give place to wrath. Yield to it. Do not resist it. Keep it out of the way. And, and what this means is let it burn itself out so that there's nothing left. Let it burn itself out. Henry Mahan said that. He said, yield to it. Do not resist it. Keep it out of, the, out of its way or keep, keep out of its way and let it burn itself. Let it be spent because if the wrath is spent, there's no more wrath to get mad at somebody else, right? 
And how, how can we do that? I've learned through the years of this, and it's helped me get over some things, is I think of how much God has had mercy and grace to me, how much he's forgiven me, then I should forgive others. It's not easy. And it's, God's still working on me. I'll tell you why. But sometimes I just got to let things go and move forward. Right? Personally. I have to. Vengeance is not mine. It's the Lord's. He'll repay. My. So we're not to brood over misunderstandings. That's what I love within the body right now. We don't brood over misunderstandings, do we? We don't. And I thank God that, that we, we, we don't do that. We don't keep them warm. May we let them die. May we let them die. Knowing that someday... God will center, settle all accounts. He will settle them all. I've seen it in my life. You've probably seen it in your life. It's a fearful thing to ha- fall into the hands of the living God. I'll tell you what. And our anger will never win the heart of a foe. Our anger will never win the heart of a foe. But our kindness may reach their heart and their conscience. Do not let evil men and evil thoughts dictate your course of action. Do not let hatred and hard feelings get the better of you or your Christian Christian principles. Do not let evil revenge displace the divine light of forgiveness. Just think of how much God has forgiven us. And what does he tell us? And this is hard for us to do. Pray for those who despitefully use you. Love our enemies. My. My. And think of this. God saved us from our own enemies. God saved us from ourselves, didn't he? I'm my own worst enemy. God saved me from myself. God also saved me from his law, which had a rightful claim on me. God the Son did that. God the Son saved me from the justice of God. Did it for you too if you're a believer. He satisfied the justice of God, didn't he? Fully. And you know what God saved us from too? is the wrath of God. He extinguished it. There's nothing left. There's nothing left. I I often think of that picture that we sing in that, um, what's that song we sing about the rock? And we're behind the rock. Um, I can't remember what it is. He hideth my soul. Thank you. He hideth my soul. And I often think about how here we are. We're tucked. We're tucked into that rock. And, and this is picture to me, it's a picture of being like in a sandstorm in the middle of a desert in the Middle East and all that sand is just beating against that rock. Just the fury of that storm is just, just 
pounding on that rock face. And here we are, we're tucked behind the rock, tucked down safe, so that not even one drop of that sand's touching us, beloved. Not one drop of that, that rage of that storm is touching us. See, when, when, when Christ died on that cross, all the wrath through our sins was poured out upon him. And not a, not a drop of that wrath will ever touch us, beloved. We're safe in Christ. Safe in he who has redeemed us with his precious, precious blood. He redeemed us out from under the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. And he's fully satisfied the justice of God in our room and place. He's extinguished, again, he's extinguished the wrath of God. You know, when they put out a fire, there's still smoke for days coming off it. There is no smoke coming off this. It's gone. It's gone. The wrath of God is totally appeased. And he did this to redeem our souls. He shed his precious blood to redeem our souls. Even so, when we were children, we're in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoptions of sons. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his sons into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, Abba. Do you know who else cried Abba? Christ. Abba, Father. The word, we're going to look at this this weekend. The word Abba is only used three times in the New Testament. And Christ is one of the ones who speaks it. Abba, Father. Oh, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more servants, but a son. And if a son, then heir of God through Christ Jesus. Praise his mighty name. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. What a Savior. What a Redeemer is Jesus Christ.